You're listening to Men with Spirit. Join us as we explore what it means to be a modern man and live a spirited life. G'day and welcome to episode 42 of Men with Spirit at Radio Karam. If you're new to the show, our aim is to encourage men to get out of their heads and more into their hearts, to be more authentically connected with themselves and with others. And integral to this is to live your life according to your values. My name is Peter Anthony and I'm here with my co-host Steve Angel. G'day Steve and how are you today? I'm great, Peter. Um, I'm doing really well, actually. Um, and what's, what's picking up from Victor's comment a few shows ago, what's the best thing that's happened to you since we were last on air together? Well, the best thing that happened to me today is that I got a decent coffee. <laughs> what, did you get it from Freddy's? I did get it from Freddy's. Good on you. Yes, Good. I did. Changed the oat milk at home and it's horrible. Oh. And there's nothing worse than waking up and having a terrible coffee to start oh. the day. So that's the best thing that's happened today. Um, what's the best thing that's happening in last week? Well, we've got some more renovations happening at our house. Yes, as people no, have been following so Bob, the story. Bob the Builder, Bob the Builder, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so kitchen and laundry is coming in this week, so... Yeah, I'm happy about that. Very good. Yes. Very good. What about yourself? Um, I'm feeling. Uh, yeah, I'm feeling. Uh, actually, I'll explain. I um, in the last couple of weeks, I've uh, found a new home, which has been quite a, an exercise. And very topical for today. Uh, very topical. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but as a consequence of that, I'm feeling a bit exhausted and overwhelmed. A lot of things to sort out in a relatively short period of time but also excited by the move and very excited by our topic today. And as you say, Steve, it does have some relevance. Mm. Um, now, with a nod to the Rolling Stones, the uh, title of today's show is Gimme Shelter, A Home Where You Belong, which uh, we'll be discussing with our guest who we'll introduce shortly. Now, the, the reason you and I decided to um, discuss this whole issue of, of uh, housing and housing affordability and access to housing and why we thought it was ripe to discuss on the show, Steve, was that the, um, that the anguish that uh, the whole issue of housing availability and affordability is causing for so many people in our, family, in our community and has emotional and other consequences, include, including around amongst uh, men we know. Uh, very well. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Um, we see that a lot actually in our, even in our groups. Mm. And, um, you know, uh, I mean, you know, just to make it more sort of, you know, real, there's several men in our groups that have had gone through broken relationships. That causes them to have to leave the home, uh, often just on one wage, trying to find another home in which that can satisfy not only their own needs, but also their children's needs when they come over for, for shared custody. All of those things, you can see the anguish, you can see the pain. Not only do you have this broken relationship that's going on that they're trying to deal with, and they've got this whole level of other um, concern and responsibility they need to um, they need to meet. And just watching them, you know, struggle through this. Um, you know, we've they mm. finally get there near the end. You know, it takes several months in some cases. Um, but yeah, it's it's very clear that there's a real problem out there, and and those needs are not being met. Absolutely, and uh, at a more um, macro level, I suppose is there's a, a heightened sense of inequality and unfairness in our society that we seem to be less caring, and there seems to be this us and them. And uh, for you and I, it's very much an affront to the values that we hold to be important. And um, Increasingly, people just can't get access to any form of shelter, which you know um, we'd certainly would used to be accepted that it was a you know human right to have the right to shelter. And if we are going to live in a different ways going forward to have a more sustainable future, um, what are the different options, um, practically speaking, that we need to consider? So uh, um, it was against all of that that we thought this has real resonance uh, at an individual level and a societal level. So we should talk about it. Yeah. And uh, rather than us just banging on about it, we thought we'd actually get someone in that's had some real lived experience with <laughs> with all of this. Um, so to discuss the big topic of uh, access to fit-for-purpose affordable housing in our neck of the woods, we've invited a local pioneer in the co-housing arena to join us, Claire Harvey, who amongst many other responsibilities is a councillor with Frankston City Council. Welcome, Claire. 
thank you so much for having me on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank good, you. Good. Now, we met uh, some uh, years ago now when I um, – I still am a, a, a school bus driver and I, you were a teacher careers advisor at a school and uh, we met through that and uh, I got a better understanding of some of the things you were passionate about and one of them was – co-housing and you uh, started an initiative called The Digs in, in in Frankston. We'll hear a little bit about that shortly but um, that was how we met and I was very um, impressed by your passion for, uh, you know, uh, practising your values and say, well, how can we do things differently? It's all very well to talk about these things but what can we do practically? So we thought you were an excellent person to have on board. So thanks very much um, mm. for um, uh, for coming, coming along today. Yes, thank you, Claire. Um, Claire. Before we sort of go into digs and co-housing, um, from your perspective, what's got us into this situation where housing has become such a difficult thing for people to access? Why do we have this problem? And it's a big one. I'm not expecting a, a you know a defined answer, but yeah, what are your it's thoughts? Complex, messy, multifaceted, and I think maybe we find ourselves in the perfect storm a whole number of contributing factors, including probably poor planning, mm-hmm. um, population growth. Mm. Uh, we've had knock-on impacts of COVID in our particular region with a whole lot of people learning that they can work from anywhere, mm-hmm. not everyone, but a lot of people brought forward their sea change, their tree change, moved towards the peninsula. Uh, apparently COVID accelerated uh, household splits Maybe some of these mm-hmm. breakdowns were going to happen mm-hmm. anyway, but I liked the phrasing that my friend used, that it was an accelerant. Mm-hmm. Um, so apparently divorce stats are up with the exception of ACT. Uh, all states and provinces around Australia, uh, sorry, Victoria, have witnessed a rise in the number of divorces since 2020. Mm. So splitting households, you know, you've already touched on that. You know, mm. so people who used to be in one dwelling, now in two, mm. but for some the pressures are so great they're staying under the one roof absolutely, just yeah. to make it work. Now, mm. from an affordability perspective, you sort of say, well, that's a great hack, but is it a happy home? So there's yeah. knock-on impacts And we've, there. we've certainly seen that, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. which is one of the reasons why people do stay in broken relationships is from a financial reason. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think there are some unrealistic expectations maybe fuelled by media and entertainment. Uh, younger people expecting that they can have the kind of home that their parents have mm-hmm. in their 60s, having worked and saved and put up with the, you know, the small little flat mm-hmm. to get your foot into the market. But this expectation from uh, younger generations that they can have their dream home in their 20s. And Australia sort of is, sits along the US as having the biggest houses in the world, houses well, that need to be heated, cooled, yeah. insured, mortgaged, furnished, all of these things. Yeah, uh, and, these and I think we've pressures. actually, our houses on average are, are, are larger than the US. So we've got these McMansions or whatever that all of the things you say are correct. They have to be heated and all the rest of it. Mm. I think back to my childhood and maybe this is a privileged setting, but a massive home, five bedrooms, every kid had their own ensuite. Again, you think back 100 years ago, the dunny was outside, yep. outside <laughs> the home. Yeah. So we sort of it's been incremental, but our expectations are off the charts. And you think compared to kings and queens of a couple of centuries ago, our quality of life exceeds theirs, particularly when you think of mm, access mm, to mm, good mm. food, health, mm. education. We live like royalty, but there's an expectation that that's our right. So our expectations need to change in terms of what is acceptable housing, yeah? Yeah, and okay. I, I, I'm I'm having to recover from some of my idealism. I used to sort of look around neighbourhoods going, there's nothing wrong with big houses, but it's big houses with very few people that are the problem. Mm. Uh, now I'm realising there's so many single occupant homes because that's where we've found ourselves and part mm-hmm. of that's the mm-hmm. human connection piece mm-hmm. that we've lost the art mm-hmm. of relationship building. Um, so we need to diversify our housing stock and we probably need more single person dwellings and studio apartments, but that's not profitable for developers. So that's not what's being built. So there's all sorts of challenges through throughout all of this. And then you think about the avalanche in terms of mental health and the crisis or mental ill health and the crisis we have there. Mm-hmm. And um, that simple phrase that hurt people 
mm-hmm. hurt people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's so much in there, but um, for people that have struggled in life and are victims of abuse or trauma, this desire to become a recluse and shut the doors and pull the blinds down and say it's safer that I do life mm-hmm. quietly on my own mm-hmm. because people are a risk and connections are risk. So it actually leads to a, a breakdown in uh, societal collection uh, co- uh, connections and, and uh, a sense of community. So, and that's where mm, your work's so mm, important. Mm. And at the other end of life too, I think people's cynicism about aged care, mm-hmm. um, people wanting to put that off because they worry about the level of care and is it adequate or even safe. And so many older people wanting to age in place, which is very reasonable, mm. but there's not a sense that that's done in your extended family, mm. which still happens in other cultures. Mm. Um, so older people on their own in a four-bedroom family home and they don't want to move because that's home to them. But again, from a resource perspective, you sort of think some people have got nowhere to live Mm. and meanwhile others have this massive house and they're on their own. And then you can add to that the holiday houses that sit there empty, particularly on places like the peninsula or investment properties that sit there empty and negative gearing just makes that um, viable as a financial strategy, which is tragic. Absolutely. The the negative gearing, capital gains tax, there was some work that um, an organisation called Prosper Australia that I was aware of a few years ago did some research on um, water usage in properties across Melbourne and – because if you've got no one in the in the house or very few people in the house, the water consumption is very low. And the figures they did from memory um, were something like 20% of the uh, um, properties around Melbourne were virtually unoccupied based on no water consumption. So it, that was in a number of years ago. So I don't know what the situation is now, but you're absolutely right. There is uh, this great need, yet there's all these unoccupied places that could be used. But, and you can't... <laughs> Yes, it's, um, there's a lot of reasons how we've got into this situation, but uh, you looked at all that and thought you could do things differently and you uh, came up with an initiative called The Digs. Do you want to tell us a bit about what you tried to get going in Frankston? Yeah, The Digs, um, as it has become known, uh, was a collective response. Uh, so I was then married, so it was uh, myself and another couple and we'd been talking at length around some of these issues, but particularly around sharing and sharing stuff. So trying to counter that materialist urge to say we all need a lawnmower. Mm. You know, we all need all these things that we use infrequently. Uh, so learning to share. Uh, we're seeing uh, things like tool libraries spring up, but it's it's that same sentiment of can't can't we share and even connect through sharing. I think for me, one of the... Uh, real triggers for this was coming back from the sort of weekly grocery shop and just feeling this malaise um, and this overwhelm of trying to live more sustainably, particularly with climate awareness and environmental awareness, whether it's uh, locally produced food or organics are better for us and better for the planet or eco-friendly products or lower packaging. Some of these things are more expensive. Mm. And so you try and do the right thing at a grocery shop and you know, the the challenge of always paying more and then also seeing the shelves full of products that just aren't good for us on so many Mm -hmm, levels. So mm -hmm. overpackaged, full Mm -hmm. of sugar, processed Mm -hmm, foods, mm -hmm. all the rest, and yet seeing that's what the bulk of the shelves have and just coming out going, oh, drop in the ocean. I feel like my small attempts are just futile. Mm -hmm. How how could we do this in ways that are more life-giving and... Um, affordable. So this sense of needing to become collectives. And I'd seen experimental co-ops um, spring up where people might send someone off to the Dandenong market where they can buy in bulk and buy organic and that's what makes it affordable. And then you share it out and people had done that in their garage but before they knew it they'd sort of tipped over some threshold and they were running a business and then mm. the council had an interest and you sort of think there's got to be ways to make this easier but proximity is part of it clearly. Mm-hmm. That uh, Even we were part of a a community where a lot of us were single car households, but there'd be that day where you needed the second car. And so we would we would share those things around. But if you've got to travel 17 minutes to your friend's place to get the spare car, even that's a pain because how do you how do you get back? Or, you know, if you drive there, then you've got two cars. So that whole sense of if we were neighbours, all of these things would be so much better. And, and I'd read about some experiments and one of the more radical ones was seven families that, 
tapped into no interest finance to build six apartments that they sort of co-owned and every seventh year you went and served somewhere else and you actually took a year off. But with their model of finding available land and not having the interest burden, you could pay these buildings off within seven years and then think of what you could do Mm. with your time or money in terms of that generosity of spirit that was Mm -hmm. other-focused. Say, you know, we can live affordably now Mm -hmm. so we can do less paid work uh, or do, and, and be generous with our time or more paid work and then how, how much could we give That's because right. there's so much need or a hybrid model. And that, that picture sort of never really left. And so we were chatting with this other couple often and said we can keep talking about this but at some point we're going to have to bite the bullet. And we tried to draw other people in on the journey with us but I think um, this way of thinking about what the ways of ways of living was sort of much more popular in some of your sort of Nordic countries. Mm. Like in Denmark, this is actually quite popular and no one would bat an eyelid and they'd mm. say, we get mm. what you're talking about. Whereas for Frankston, we just found people would scratch our head and say, what? What mm. are you doing? What are you planning? Or they will have heard of some experiment that failed and it all went badly. And I'm like, I wonder if they're all referring to the same failed project. <laughs> there are barriers and they're real. But what you should do is form a group of interested people, all have your sort of 10% deposit ready to go and then look for land together and shape it together as a community. And that's part of you forming as a group and fleshing out those values. Who are we? What do we stand for? What shape does this take? So uh, you weren't able to do that, I guess. We were so, And perhaps you could even explain what the key elements are of the, the co-housing concept as you uh, tried to create it there. So the aim is that you would downsize your personal private household footprint by living in effectively a townhouse mm-hmm. that gives you the basics and you have everything you need to live independently, shall we say, in that you don't have to all share the laundry. You could have a, you know... The European laundry, a smaller version. But the goal is those things that you use less often become shared and the things that make sense. So your orchard, your veggie garden, your workshop, tool shed, um, craft space. Uh, we'd hope to have one or two guest rooms. We'd hope to have a library. You know, you think about people have these massive DVD collections. Yeah. Even that to go and what happened to DVD libraries? You know, mm. why can't we share? Now, technology's helped us hack that, obviously, with these streaming services. But the the goal would be that you downsize your home uh, but have a, access to a common house. So if you want to run a grand final day barbecue, or one of my favourites is election night, vote mm. count mm. watch and, you know, all talking politics while we watch Anthony Green, whatever it is that's your flavour, games nights, Uh, parties, you know, a lot of people would have a larger home saying, well, what about when we entertain? It's like, well, realistically though, that Mm. might be a couple of times a year. So you have this massive house for the few times Mm -hmm. you need it Mm -hmm. or a guest room for the two weeks of the year that your aunt comes from Tasmania. Mm. Like realistically, that's that's not resource savvy. Mm. Uh, And part of co-housing is addressing real finite limits around affordability and finance, but also the environment that we... You know, we forget sustainability has become this sort of cool catchphrase. But if something's not sustainable, what it actually means is it won't last. Mm -hmm. And that's where to be generative in your thinking in terms of future generations and the legacy we leave behind. To say that something won't last means we get to enjoy the party and we leave future generations to clean up the mess. And that's grossly unfair. Or you can play that out in the current to say we get to live a life mm-hmm. that looks like a party and others elsewhere struggle mm-hmm. and suffer. Mm-hmm. The um, co-housing is, uh, as you say, is a relatively new concept to a lot of people here. Um, the idea of um, shared housing where you you know, you know get together with someone else and you uh, share the rental or whatever or, or the purchase of a property, it's not as radical but it ties into that same sort of concept of uh, not having single occupancy places. You bring two or three people together to uh, to share a, a property, whether you're buying it or, or renting. Uh, that's part of the solution, would you agree? Or Definitely. I mean, through necessity, it's sort of, in most of our minds, the student household mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. you don't have much of a budget. You're probably busy. You're working, you're studying, you're out a lot. Um, you're all at a similar age and stage. Uh, when you're younger, that's very much the expectation that you'll, you'll have mm. to share. Um, 
but it's seen as being forced through the necessity of your life stage where you don't have much money. Mm. Uh, but there are wins. And I guess that's where the frustration of people telling co-housing stories about when it didn't work. Um, so to sort of circle back, what we needed to do was to buy land so that we could actually get some designs done mm-hmm. and actually have a more concrete vision, although we were hoping for more rammed earth than concrete. But um, something tangible where people could look at it and go, oh, I get it. Seeing the plans really helps me get my head around what you're planning mm-hmm. to do. Mm-hmm. So as two families, we sold our properties, cashed up to buy land at auction. Um, and what what that meant was to, to make that whole project viable and also for us to put our values to the test, we rented together. So there were two families in one dwelling, uh, which included five adults, uh, including sort of an adult child of a couple, and uh, and then two younger kids. Now, one of the pluses for me was we had an arrangement where we uh, the adults would cook one night a week, and that was thinking about the meal, making sure you bought the food, preparing and cleaning up. Now, that's a little bit of an effort, but actually that's fairly normal, and you you cook with a little bit of bulk in mind. But then it means the other nights of the week, it's not your job at all. That mental load of thinking about it um, was not yours. So so that covered five nights and then there was an easy tea or takeaway night or there were nights where people were inevitably out. So the win of sort of got, just sitting down at the table going, someone's done this for me. A- again, people, people don't see that and there are so many wins when you're doing life together and, you know, sharing bills, sharing chores, you know, even when you've got a rent expect inspection coming up, uh, you've got more adults all pitching in and mm. it's a little bit less of a chore because it comes, it becomes a working bee, but you're alongside people whose company you enjoy, hopefully. You can mm. keep those relationships running along smoothly, which is the challenge I think we all uh, need to keep working on. One of the books on co-housing, I think it was called Happily Ever ever Aftering in co-housing, but it, one of the lines was co-housing is a great way to help adults keep growing up. So we <laughs> think about raising people to 18 or 21 and then our work's done. It's like, no, we've all got <laughs> more growing to mm. do. Mm. And you'd understand that in the work that you Absolutely. do. It's like mm. it never stops. Mm-hmm. Let's keep learning about ourselves and doing that work. So what happened with the digs To There's a few other things we want to discuss, but what, what happened and, and where are things now with regard to that initiative? Uh, we learnt a lot and that's why I'm happy to come on a radio show like this. I I feel like a failed pioneer, but I guess one of the gifts and the generosity of of heart um, is to tell our story because Mm -hmm. there's learnings in it. And one of our goals was to make it easier for the people that followed Mm -hmm. who will Mm -hmm. try this as well. So um, we really did want to model uh, an alternative in terms of being in an urban or suburban setting and living differently because there is this tendency for people who really want to live differently to find cheap land somewhere a few hundred k's out of town and go off grid mm. and then you kind of never hear from them again and you never see them live out their story and certainly when we're looking at the number of people who live in cities that can't be the answer mm. that we all move to the country that's that's just impractical uh, so our other uh, values around a community, sustainability, generosity and uh, sort of a humility or growth, that sort of learning posture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we had some challenges at the council level, not actually so much with the council officers and the planners. We had a really constructive working relationship with them, but there were suspicious neighbours who didn't get what we were doing um, and probably just didn't want development in their street and that's a classic that's a classic Mm. kind of problem that goes on and on and on but in the end it was the cynical response of councillors of that time that was most bewildering to me so we we met with the mayor and ceo because there was a meet the mayor opportunity and they'd scratch their head saying we're not sure who you think's going to want to live there and i'm like me Mm. me and my family Mm. i want to raise my children in a place like this just made no sense and then when I actually went before council and there was a whole lot of um, community resistance um, there was an accusation that we were trying to build rooming houses and call them something else and do something quite devious and I'm like with rammed earth walls and solar panels on prime real estate and 17 bicycle parks and an orchard and a veggie garden like who does that when they're trying to exploit people Mm. by building dodgy rooming houses so that was bewildering and then another councillor who said I don't understand how you think you're going to force people to share things 
Mm. And I thought, wow, like any student of history and sociology would say, that's how human beings thrive, by learning to get along and to share things. And if we can't hack that simple kind of task as a species, we're completely stuffed. Mm. So that was that um, uh, maybe moment where I thought, we need more imagination in our local councillors and local leaders, not only how much uh, more, how much differently could we live and how much better for us might that be? But also if we fail to respond to these cascading challenges, how awful might life get for us as a human species? Mm-hmm. So that's the imagination piece at both ends. And, and was that the, that conversation and your experience at that stage, was that the genesis for you becoming a counsellor oh, It came or? a little <laughs> bit later in 2020 when a friend sat me down and said, I think you need to run. And yeah. she actually sort of worked in local government in housing. So she also had sort of watched me journey and knew of my passion and probably had her own frustrations and saying, you'd be great on council. Um, so I teamed up with a few others and, and did run and did actually get in. So that was part of that journey of saying, I think we can do better here. Good, good. So what... Um so oh, what, well, what happened? What, yeah. What happened? So it was unanimously opposed uh, when it went to – actually, first it was deferred. So mm. even at that level, the kick in the guts to be ready, to be primed, to know what your plans are going to council. And you did find the land? We found oh, yeah. the land. Yeah, we bought it, it at auction. Beauty Park. There. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It used to be a reception centre, Villa St Clair. So it's interesting. Then people are like, oh, my parents had their wedding reception there. You know, oh, so yeah. many locals had a story about this and it was – it was at one level a bit devastating to pull, pull down this building that had such a rich history, but it was not in good shape. Mm-hmm. Um, it really wasn't. Um, and we designed our plans to try and keep the flowering gum. Um, so the whole thing would be centred around mm-hmm. keeping this tree. Um, so it was deferred uh, and then it went back to council. One of the younger councillors said, I think you're gutsy. I think you're heading in the right direction. Then she voted against it, as did all the other councillors. So then a long way and a costly trip to Vika. And again, the emotional toll mm. Mm. when people perceived that we were developers and even to be called a developer, it's like, no, I'm just a mum that is community-minded and that wants something better, not just for my kids but their kids and all of their peers. Mm. Uh, I'd rather not do this but we need to be making deep changes. So it got to Vika and it got through but every time then that we went back and got um, our quotes recosted, the prices went up, people moved on who sort of expressed commitment to say, oh, look, my parents now are in a different stage of life and we think we need to stay where we are and a move's not well-timed or we're now thinking about our kids and schooling and we're going to buy. So we sort of came around and got to a point where people sort of wandered away and we were left just the few of us again and thought, do we have energy in the tank? actually tried to sell and it would have been financially devastating, like I would have lost everything and Mm. had to start from scratch at that point then as a single parent in my 40s. That was not attractive. Um, COVID happened Mm. and then we thought, actually now more than ever, we are understanding connection to place, Mm. to community, to each other, um, the knock-on impacts of life and that we we need each other. So we decided to give it another go. But then, of course, what happened with COVID, um, we actually got to a point where they were all sold and a friend of mine stepped in as an angel investor and offered to not just buy one but buy two to get it over the line, um, which was such a gift and an encouragement um, and a supportive lawyer who had helped Mm. us work through our owners corp and our residents association rules because you've got to think carefully Mm. about how people can buy in and sell out Mm. without them feeling stuck. And it needs to be on an open market and you can't be discriminatory in mm-hmm, your practices mm-hmm. as well. So you've got to have people sign on to some values but not in a way that excludes others. So really quite complex. We got them all sold but that took time, went back to our builders for quotes and COVID and the construction industry <laughs> just oh, meant that it was non-viable. And one of, so I think – Co-housing, there are challenges at the planning level with local government because they struggle to assess dwellings like the common house and they, you know, the moment it's got bedrooms and a bathroom, they want to call it a dwelling Mm -hmm. and then there's suspicion and then there's a need for added car parks and, and again, those things challenge it with viability. So not only did we realise we needed a disability car park, we needed a visitor car park. Mm So again, that's more space lost and we lost a metre off the back because that was the sort of negotiation with the resident at the back and you go, it's only a metre, but if it's a 10 
metre wide block. That's 10 square metres of what would have been veggie garden or open space. So, you know, all these sacrifices, lost the second story, lost the study and library and you sort of think, oh, my goodness. Um, so all these losses but the the challenging financial piece is very much there because it's seen as high risk and it draws in people that don't have deep pockets. So we had a single mum uh, we had a blended family where uh, the dad had a new kid with the mm-hmm. with the second wife, but there were adult kids or teenagers that he was supporting in a second household. There, we had an older local couple um, that that actually found me through um, through the campaign period and said, "What are you going to do about housing? Uh, what are you going to do about housing for people with disabilities?" And vulnerable members of the community and I wrote back and said I'm actually particularly interested and so mm. that conversation kept going but here's an adult couple or mature couple with an adult child with a disability who could live independently with carers coming and going but they wanted to know as they aged that this person would have a supportive mm. community around mm. them. Now we went back to these parties and said can you wear a price increase and they all said we're maxed out. And that's where you mentioned affordable housing. I would have loved if this was affordable housing, but we're talking prime real estate, sustainable build, um, finance finance being hard to secure. The affordability piece with co-housing under our model, given that it was only eight households, was not so much at the build and buying in point, but the livability of it. Because you can, if you can run a mini grid, generate your own power, not be on gas, have water tanks, uh, purchase cooperatively, you know, your food, Mm. grow your own, share vehicles, be in close proximity Mm. to things so you don't even need a vehicle. You could actually live on a very small budget and Mm. that's where the win was. But a lot of those costs were loaded up front. In front, yeah. So... Do you still own the land or Still what's... own the land. Actually had an offer and we – not just an offer but a, a signed sale of contract and a deposit paid but it was conditional and then the interest rate rise. Um, and so it fell through. It fell through again. So we're now thinking maybe subdividing, trying to build a portion like some of the units mm. up the back. So for me um, that would be a redemptive ending, not perfect and not the dream but I still get a sustainable build in a wonderful location alongside like-minded neighbours, um, but we'd lose that sense of common facilities. But mm. it's just on Beauty Park and there's open space and there's transport and, again, there's ways to hack doing life together mm. without having common space. Well, look, good on you for, uh, yeah. for the whole initiative. I think it's been a hell of a journey for you and those that supported the concept. But uh, unless people are prepared to step up and try and do things differently, we're not going to get anywhere. So... Uh, Fantastic that you've done that. Just a quick one before we go to a, a bit of music. Um, tiny homes. Um, now, it's obviously it's not the sort of community sort of thing unless you've got a, a range of where you can have a number of tiny homes in the same area. Are they part of the solution uh, in terms of housing affordability? I think they need to be. Mm-hmm. I think we need to do whatever we can. And they're actually one of the immediate – not quite immediate. They're, they're a short-term solution. I'm not saying they're stopgap. But a lot of the other solutions that involve levels of government and funding, even if we were to flag today that the federal government's making money available, it's going to be years before we see those homes come online. But by the time you get through planning and, you know, where these are going to be and maybe trips to VCAT and maybe community backlash because of Mm -hmm. NIMBYism, all those things, they're not going to come online quickly. But tiny homes or, you know, we've got rules that say once you've been in it for six months, it's kind of illegal to keep living in it. So there's planning changes that need to happen. Same with – I'm not saying I want people living in caravans, but it's better than cars and it's better than under a bridge. And the Mornington Peninsula with its 1,500-plus people that are now homeless have declared a housing emergency – so just like declaring a climate emergency, it's like, well, let's then live in the reality of that. If it's an emergency, what we, we need to pull yeah, out all the stops yeah. here going, it's not how it's been done and there are risks and it's not ideal, but we've got to do what we can mm-hmm. uh, because we we certainly and, don't and want and people it, on the streets. And it is an emergency. I mean, so I can go back a couple of years ago and uh, the school that we were, we were talking about earlier on, uh, the, uh, the registrar there had mentioned that you know, one of the families at that stage was living in a car. Mm. Um, and it's got far worse since then. So we we need to do something now and it's not a matter of you know waiting for you know 40,000 homes to be built over the next 10 years or something. We need to have solutions now. So good on you for what you're doing. Um, mm. 
We might just have a little break. And one of the things, Claire, you know that uh, we like to do with our guests is to get some music collections, a bit of a, a, a um, insight into you as a person. Now, you've chosen Fragile by Sting. Do you want to explain why what this song means to you and why you think it's apt today? Yes, uh, Sting. Uh, my my sister was a Sting fan, and I sort of, I guess, inherited that by just you know, remember the day where you play a tape in the car. Yeah. That's really a throwback. <laughs> I'm showing my age, but you hear the other the music of your other household members, or back in the day where everyone wasn't connected yeah. to their own <laughs> device with their little earbuds. So he sort of had a prophetic influence. You know, he was fighting for the trees and singing so- songs that had meaning and depth. And part of that is, I think, his Catholic upbringing and mm-hmm. and the even yeah religious imagery. And he was an English teacher, so there was a sophistication at times about what he was singing about. You know that that mm-hmm. song Russians. Someone mm-hmm. said the other day, was that Sting song? Yes, singing about the Russians. Do they love their children too? Um, it was actually year eight. My geography teacher played us that song, song Fragile, uh, when we were discussing global warming, and some lights really went on for me and as much as the song was not about Antarctica that was the connection that our teacher made and so that connection's always been there in my mind nature just like people has a degree of resilience but deep fragility okay let's hear fragile hello I'm Con and I'm Stav and And we're Eddie Nucky you're listening to Radio Karam hello and welcome back you're listening to Men With Spirit on Radio Karen with me, Steve Angel, and my co-host, Peter Anthony. And today's guest is Claire Harvey. And we are discussing the topic, Gimme Shelter, a place to call home. Um, the topic is really about Claire's experience in co-housing, but to, at more broadly to discuss the idea of, you know, the housing crisis and what can, we can do in the immediate future to, to help people who are looking for um, the, the need to have some, some housing. Um before we we continue on in the second half, Peter, you wanted to share something that from the blog that we actually refer to a lot, which is the wisdom of Crazy Horse, and there was a quote in there about housing, which encouraged us to look at housing differently. Did you want to share that quote before we start yeah, again? Yeah, sure, Steve. Uh, what he says is this: um, Why is it that with everything put into houses to make them more functional and to save time, people have less time? The house was meant to be a refuge from the weather, a place of gathering when inside gatherings were required. It was not meant to be so filled with appliances that it became a prison, locking people away from the outside. The lack of enjoyment of life in the elements and the lack of real communication face-to-face is acting as a detriment to the growth of people on earth. Which I think really comes back to what Claire was sharing in, um, earlier on in the uh, episode was this desire or this lack of desire or willingness to want to share and to come back to this kind of village idea of where we're like sharing each other's lives and being involved in each other's lives rather than separating and isolating ourselves. Which brings me to something that I mentioned just in the break with you, Claire. Um, we want to really look at some immediate solutions to this. And obviously we can't wait for governments to you know, provide funds to build a lot of homes when people are in need right now. But it got me thinking about a, a video that I saw. It could have been in Finland, one of the Nordic countries, um, where to deal with the solution of a lack of student housing, they encouraged students to move in with elderly people who maybe have lost their partners and they're living their own, like you talked about, in a large three or four bedroom home. And that initiative was there to help bring them together, support one another, but also deal with the, the need of these students who obviously need somewhere to live. I mean, it's just, it seems such, such a simple, straightforward solution. Two people need, one needs community, one needs, you know, um, um, you know, uh, uh, social connection and then you've got the others that need accommodation but then just you bring these two generations together I mean what do you what do you think I mean these things seem so practical I mean what are your thoughts on this kind of idea and what can we do I don't have all the details but I know it's not just in far-flung places and other countries that has been trialed here and it's actually something I raised at the housing advisory committee that I'm on that's a subcommittee of council um in terms of the urgency of Mm. the crisis and the quicker wins because we can roll out more housing and look at rezoning and supporting alternative forms of housing and also changing the sort of 
um, mix of housing that's available, that's going to take time. Mm. These things are years in the making. So what are the things that can be sort of rolled out more quickly? And I had heard of similar mm. um, matching services, basically. Matching service, yes. Yeah, uh, you know, who's got space and who needs a bit of company or help with grocery shopping because they're a bit frail or can't drive anymore. You know, really practical stuff. And then who needs somewhere to live? Particularly, um, I think of someone I know who came from Gippsland to study at Monash Peninsula. So again, a student, new to town, needs someone to live, will probably form a share household once they meet people, mm. but they come here as a newcomer, mm-hmm. you know, and even studying something like occupational therapy. Imagine the sort of uh, the practice environment of learning about people's health challenges and what they can and can't do and, and actually living with an older person. Mm-hmm. Like that would accelerate the engagement that you have as a student. You sort of think what an, what an easy thing and what a quick win if you can make the match work. And you talked about these different generations and that's what you can see though. Uh, for every case where it would work, there would be others where there would be um, yeah. immense challenges. And that's that getting along piece. And my my frustration, I guess, as a careers advisor, we're so much focus on success and setting people up for a happy and secure future is on academic results and an ATAR and the right degree. I'm like, if you, <laughs> if you can't listen well, mm. if you can't be courteous... And just be polite and learn to be attentive what others need and to grow out of some of your selfish immaturity. Good luck in the workplace. Mm. And, and schools haven't been great at doing that stuff. They're trying hard. But they're the things I think that should be learnt in the home. But so much parenting is being outsourced to schools. You know, uh, I've got a f- friend who's a teacher. She's not a fan of breakfast clubs, not because she doesn't want to see food provided to those who need it, but there are parents who, as soon as there's a brekkie club, go, great, another thing I don't have to do. And suddenly yeah. it's shift – feeding children is suddenly the responsibility of a school as well. Mm. So all these things that should be learnt in homes about getting along, respecting people of different generations, you know, um, difference, mm-hmm. even understanding and appreciating difference. And I know this is part of this conversation too, this othering. You, you mentioned others and mm. inequity. Um, there was a, a supported accommodation planning permit that was being put through a year or two ago and the strong emails I got from community members driven by not a local resident, a local landlord who didn't even live in the area. Uh, suspicion because this was supported on accommodation and the nasty, deviant kind of people that were going to live there and it was so close to shops and a school. How could you do such a thing? So I asked a few more questions. Look at the plans. It's for two people with disabilities Mm -hmm. and two carers. Mm. But this suspicion because of these other people, and this uh, brings us back to this just world bias. I think it was Melvin Lerner in the 60s um, where people in difficult situations um, who would probably refer to themselves as victims are blamed for their misfortune. It's their fault they're poor. It's their mm. fault they're homeless. Mm-hmm. And I know growing up I hated public speaking. I would have been amazed to even know I'd be on a radio show one day. <laughs> I studied Latin because it was a dead language. You didn't have to speak it. I was that shy. Um, uh, I lost where I was going with that. Um, not completely lost my point there, but we'll move on. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say uh, in terms of the – practicalities of um, making a co-housing or shared housing arrangement work, it gets down to the uh, relationship between the people. So uh, you'd given some thought to the legalities of moving in and out of the property, but what sort of things are important? Do you have to have, uh, if you're a number of people come together in a small community, which is what a a co-housing situation I suppose is, uh, how important is it to have uh, shared values and to have you know honest communication, uh, subscribe to equality and accountability and, all, and lack of ego and humility and those sort of things? How important are those human qualities in making a, a co-housing or shared housing arrangement work based on what you, uh, you've experienced? I think it's essential uh, and we found, again, a little bit of a chicken and egg thing that ideally a community would come together around shared values but then they would more clearly articulate them and you would see who's going to buy in and who's who's not mm-hmm. um, but we had to come up with them but at a very high level so I think I mentioned before community sustainability generosity and this sort of growth learning mindset what that looked like though we didn't want to be very prescriptive 
because it would depend on the shape mm. of the community and that would be dynamic. Mm-hmm. You know, you might start with tod- toddlers. Ten years on, you've got teenagers. Yeah. The community itself is dynamic in the shape it takes and, and the response to different issues. You know, one of the questions, would we have chickens? How would vegans feel about that? You know, mm. um, what, do you, what do you do around diet? How complex does this get? That would change as people come and go and we, as we learn more about different challenges and that was part of it. Someone might come with a, a deep passion for uh, the plight of people overseas. It's like, well, teach us more about that and what that might mean for us as we live here. Um, so it becomes a dynamic sort of uh, environment. But do you need to have things written down as these are the guidelines for our community or our shared arrangement and get people to commit to that? But open it up to having it uh, reassessed from time to time? Like every 12 months sit down and say, okay, are these guidelines guidelines or these rules still serving us? Can we do things differently or better? Yeah, and we'd even thought about having not – not a mediator, but maybe a community mentor to sort of help us work through issues when they were small before they became big. And um, in the co-housing model, often it's those common meals that are the glue Mm -hmm. because that's where you can say, how are you doing? Or Mm -hmm. haven't seen Sally for a while. Is she okay? Oh, I've heard she's struggling. Maybe let's – she's not at dinner, but let's see if we can take a meal up for her. You know, so caring for each other, but also that maybe the – you were up late last night. Oh, could you hear us? Sorry, was our music totally up? Mm. Nip it in the bud before it becomes a big thing. So, again, that's learning to have hard conversations, learning how to hold space, learning how to listen well, learning that people are different to you Mm -hmm. and that you need to be more curious. Again, aren't we all learning in the second half of life that these are the life skills (laughs) that we could have probably done with a couple of decades ago but we're learning now? Do you think that – with the interest that a lot of the younger generation have in climate, in sustainability, do you think that this is something that they would be more willing to be part of, um, this more shared model of living together? Or do you believe that there's still their desire to still have things for themselves? And, um, you know, you mentioned it before, you know, wanting this you know, bigger house because that's what I grew up in and I want that myself. I mean, do you think that, yeah, well, what are your thoughts on that in terms of, you know, do we see a change coming through generation? What is going to activate a new change in this behaviour that we're all talking about that needs to change? Yeah, and I'd say yes and yes or both and in that um, there are young people who um, would balk at this and that's not the, the vision they have for their life and then there, there's young people thirsting for it going, mm. nothing else makes sense to me, of course I want this. Mm. There's probably a PhD just in that question alone. So. yeah, yeah. Um, and that's where I wouldn't say it's, you know, a lot of people talk about young people these days. It's like they're not a homogenous group. No, 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 no. There's, there's so many categories within that, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. But I think maybe a, a greater sense of adventure and a greater sense of um, urgency. You look at the creative things that young people do, we tend to get more conservative and less adventurous as we age. So, yeah, harnessing their energy and their creativity mm. and learning from other countries or other communities where this is more normal. And, and that includes um, different ethnic communities, who would look at us and say, we've always done this. Hmm. This is this is not new, supporting hmm. each other and living in multi-generational homes and sharing and having large homes that are full with lots of people. This is how we've always done it. And that's where I think we need to recalibrate that our normal is not so normal. It's very much so. so. Yeah. Sorry, Peter. Uh, yeah, I grew up like that, but it changed very much when my parents had settled into this country and I think adopted these values where you started to say, okay, once your parents get older, they're actually going to go into a home, whereas that was just never considered. It was always mm. like it was you that was you looked after them and you just had them in the home. Like grandma lived with us for, for a very long time. Clearly there are solutions to the problems we're, we're facing, but we need to just be open to them and take some action. Mm. And uh, we could talk for hours on this topic. I think it's a big one. Um, but look, we are. Time does march on. Yeah, Clay. Do you have any sort of last sort of comments or thoughts that you want to share? I, I want to commend you guys for what you're doing. Um, I received an email the other week from an Aussie who's ended up at Oxford, and he's actually talking with philanthropists and academics around the Friendship Lab. Um, and I was just thinking of the the relevance. He's he's looking as an adult at the importance 
the underestimated importance of friendship. Mm-hmm. I think they talk about 3 a.m. friends. So when you have a crisis, who can you call? Mm-hmm. Other people say if you needed 500 bucks, who would lend you the money? Mm-hmm. What if it was 5,000? Measures of social connection and social fabric. And I think that's, you know, housing is the bricks and mortar. Mm-hmm. It's the heart. It's the connection that sits in, in yep. the centre of a- this. Absolutely. And even people who will vouch for you. Like mm. I sort of think, what's my risk of becoming homeless? Actually fairly low. If I put word out and said, I'm in crisis, I need help. Mm-hmm. I actually have a fairly wide, strong, deep tribe. Mm-hmm. And it's that sense of belonging and that we're all got each other's back. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Claire, look, that's been a fascinating Has conversation. Been. Thank you very much, Claire. Well, if, uh, besides your work as a councillor with Frankston City Council, what else do you do? And if people wanted to contact you, how would they go about doing that? Because uh, I think many of the issues you've raised, including particularly co-housing, uh, I would think would... Uh, piqued the interest of quite a few people. So yeah. how would they contact you? Thank you. Yeah. Um, I mentioned some of my frustrations working in a school as a careers advisor and I, I guess uh, that's catalyzed this pivot towards um, doing deeper work, asking bigger questions about what even makes for a successful, happy, productive life. So getting into more of this coaching space mm-hmm. around how you shape your life mm-hmm. and a job is only one part of it. And how would people contact So I'm um, in the process of setting up Echo Coaching. So you could find me at Claire by email, claire at echocoaching.com.au. Great. That's fantastic. Some links there for you. Thank you. Um, thank you very much. Uh, I've got a few little wrap-up announcements. you got anything you want to say in conclusion, Steve? Nothing that's wise, no. <laughs> Other than yes, I mean it's 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 a shame that you know we're we're talking about something so fundamental like connection and friendship as if it's you know, but our lives depend upon it. When you really think about it, and it's it's sad that this is something that we need to reflect upon and, and actually work on. But thanks again for the conversation. It's been great, Thank and that's you, very Claire. much what the song, the final song's about, is connection and friendship. And don't give up because people around you've got your back. So mm. work on those friendships and be that person for someone else. And the song we'll finish up with in a sec is "Don't Give Up" by Peter Gray and Gabriel. Um, just before we do that, um, I just want to say that information and links about our shows are available from the Radio Carum website, which is radiocarum.org, or via our Facebook page. And uh, our shows are also available on all the major podcast platforms within a day or so of broadcasting. If you want to attend any of our Men With Spirit gatherings, event details, including how to register, are also on our Men With Spirit Facebook page, which is at Men With Spirit. Locally, we meet in Frankston usually every Monday evening and we're committed to helping men to grow and uh, reach out and see if we have a place for you or a man in your life you care about. You can email us at connect at menwithspirit.com.au And uh, just a plug for the sponsors for Radio Carum and our work and the work of Radio Carum generally wouldn't be possible without the generous support of um, the Radio Carum sponsors, which include Freddie's Kitchen that makes uh, coffees that Steve and I very much enjoy. Delicious. Uh, Atticus Health, Seaford North IGA, Mitchell Tour Real Estate and Tad Cabinets. Um, Claire will... um, We'll listen to your music now and I, we've got a Spotify playlist which we'll include in the links on the show as well and I've taken the liberty of adding uh, the Rolling Stones' Gimme Shelter to that playlist as well which I thought was relevant to today. So until uh, next time, everyone, be true to yourself and see you in a couple of weeks' time. Bye. <laughs>